Bel come tu i glineurosis. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And this is the Bravery episode. Brave. Brave. Bravery. Bravery. Kind of two words. They could, could be used simultaneously. I like bravery because it sounds sharper. Sharp. Sharp like a tack. But um, anyhow, our, uh, our theme this week again is bravery. So our movie, we saw the brand new release, Sully. Mm-hmm. The newest Clint Eastwood film. Yes, sir. Which featured the wonderful... Tom Hanks. And Aaron Eckert's mustache. And that stash, yo. Um, and our album of the week is The Last Stand by Sabaton. Am I yes. saying that correctly? Sabaton is Sabaton. correct. And our beer this week is Anti-Hero IPA from Revolution Brewing in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this beer, Ethan. So this here is, like you said, called Anti-Hero, and it is an IPA. Um, it runs about 6.5% alcohol, so it's you know pretty baseline for an IPA. Yeah. The can is super cool. It's like a hop in like some sort of military garb without an eye patch. It's very neat. And uh, let's see here on Beer Advocate, it's described as this way. An American hop assault for all of the ambivalent warriors who get the girl in the end. Look, I ain't, I ain't in this for your revolution and I'm not in it for you, princess. The iconic ale. Was that a Star Wars reference? This iconic ale features a blend of four hop varieties, which creates a crisp bitterness that imparts massive floral and citrus aromas, and it runs at a decently high 70 IBU. That's pretty it. So it's got a little kick to it. Definitely a hoppy, super hoppy IPA. I'm guessing they're aiming for the throat with this one. Oh yeah. For hoppiness, not necessarily balance, which I know you're you're a big stickler for the balance. Gotta be balanced. But majorly cool can, I've got to say. And uh, it, yeah. All their, uh, they had a couple other beers that I've were. I've had some of their beers, I think. Available. Also cool cans. Uh, dark IPA. Amber Hue. It says to keep cold, so it may not be pasteurized. Maybe. It doesn't always mean that. But it can mean that. It doesn't say non-pasteurized, so it probably is. Revolution Brewing Company. Yeah. Boom. Don't drink it while you're pregnant. Well, well. That's up to each user to decide. That's true. I don't judge. I so, do, just not. I don't. If I judge, I don't say anything. I judge on the inside, as as all grown men do. Yeah. Well, it's like I, I don't know what's worse, because I'm not a doctor, smoking or uh, drinking while pregnant. Well, the folks on Mad Men certainly don't think it's bad they for don't. their kids. In the first episode, that there's that uh, you see Betty Draper making a cocktail and drinking it. 
United States um, of America, ladies and gentlemen. US of A. All right, I'm going to take a sip of this here beer, All and right. we're going to see I'm how gonna, it goes. I'm going to do it too. Same time. Mm. It's definitely more balanced than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's very actually quite pleasant. It reminds me a lot of the Centennial IPA from Founders. It's very good. Ooh, I think the after flavor is a little bit more yeah. piney, mm-hmm. though. Ooh, that's yeah, nice. I like that. The after, after flavor one. is killer on it. Perfect, perfect. But again, you know, if you're not into the IVAs, if you're not into the hoppy stuff, that's got a long that's after got, flavor. Yeah. That's what my wife does not like IPAs. And her biggest thing is like aftertaste. And this is like the quintessential aftertaste IPA. Pretty good stuff from anti for anti hero. Big fan. Which fits with our somewhat with our theme. Our the main character of the film, Sully, kind of an anti hero in a way. I think even if it doesn't fit in directly, you know, anti hero, it conceptually fits in. Yeah. Of the opposite of perhaps a hero. Yeah. So um, onto our definition of the word brave er e three syllables. Uh, it's a noun, uh, courageous behavior or character. About it. Very short, very <laughs> concise, very accurate. So what does bravery mean to you, Ethan? Well, I think bravery is ultimately being selfless, right? You're acting in a way that directly benefits somebody else or something else other than yourself in a way that could maybe have a negative impact on your own person. Um, I think it's not thinking about how your actions will impact yourself and you're acting for a greater cause or some sort of ideological aim or something. Standing up in your standing up for your beliefs in the face of adversity, um, to me, bravery is just it's about knowing that you're not just acting for self preservation. You're acting for a greater good, even if that ultimately can, you know, not be the best move for yourself. Hmm. That's what I think about with bravery. Interesting, and I kind of went uh, kind of along the same path because um, when I was really little, I remember I I said to my dad something about like. Bravery, only soldiers and people can like that can be brave or something like that. And he said, well, lots of people can be brave, Nate. And he explained it to me that, and I, I that's the kind of process I went on is like, I think even like we review music on this, um, on this podcast and movies. And I think those are kind of artists. They have to be fairly brave to put that stuff out there. Yeah, and absolutely. kind of expose themselves and because they're, they're gonna have two random dudes who have zero musical talent talking <laughs> and judging their their artistic abilities and there's like million not maybe millions but there's at least tens of thousands of other podcasts that are about the exact same thing mm-hmm. so that's kind of brave but I agree, I agree with you it is a very selfless act um i think that the moment you act for yourself it is no longer like bravery you know if you go into something and you say like i'm gonna do this to but at the same time you can be brave for your own things you could you know i think a lot of athletes who do solo uh sports are very brave because i think i guess i didn't even think about it because i think i was thinking about bravery in context of the movie sully which is very much highlighting the selfless parts of bravery but kind of what you were saying about artists putting their stuff out there kind of makes me think of just that artists who put their stuff out there are athletes or people who are being brave, maybe even putting themselves physically in danger for some sort of something they see greater. But even that I think does double back to the concept of greater than themselves winning the top prize being the best that somehow elevates the individual to some sort of higher status. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's an, that's an interesting kind of gray area. Cause obviously we, we think of like soldiers fighting at war, that's bravery 
you think of obviously um, Captain Sullenberg and Berger. There's Sullenberger. Second Sullenberger. Um, you know, staying on the plane and rescuing people and doing what he did—that's bravery. But then, is a football player who goes onto the football field and risks his body brave? Is a tennis player who stands by them, you know, by themselves and plays a game for money, or that even though that is very brave in my opinion, but or an actor, or, or an actor, or a musician or, who stands up and does a solo during a performance. Even like, I mean, like, look at Leonardo DiCaprio with with um, the Revenant, which ties into this movie. Oh, yeah. Wait till movie of the week ties in very very slight wait you'll see okay but um again he what he did to act in that movie that's bravery i love that movie dude oh yeah oh so good i'm gonna watch it tonight are you yeah it's a pretty long movie that's yeah i'll be up to like one in the morning (laughs) no but i mean it's it's a great i think it's kind of a gray area thing Mm -hmm. you know people say that we're brave because we record ourselves and put it out there for the world my I, my wife has said it. She's like, I don't understand no, how true. you do it. You know what? You're right. I've heard people tell me too, like, oh, you, you people are listening. I'm like, well, it's on that. <laughs> I don't know who's listening, but so hopefully somebody. We don't know who you are, but we love you all. Yeah. If you're listening to this, we, we literally can feel you we love you, and we can in feel the future, your, yeah, and retweets and everything. We can feel it all. No, but um, yeah. Inter- again, interesting word. Words are interesting. It's good to break down and break them down. Think about them because mm. obviously this one, it's a four word definition but Crazy a bigger, bigger, bigger i think if we words? just cut it down to brave it would be a little bit different but bravery specifically is the act of being brave that's true so that's true on to the high priority news items the uh, hbo series westworld based on the classic 1973 film uh the premiere is coming up uh it was a five uh, five episodes created by jonathan nolan brother of christopher nolan uh, the show has an absolutely stacked cast and is sure to be visually stunning. Definitely from the previews has a Nolan type feel to it. Big, fancy, sexy, sexy, high definition. Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm excited. I, I'm a big fan of the original movie with uh, um, James Brolin and uh, Yul Brenner. I think it's a kind of, it's, it's in a, I use the word classic sort of, it's sort of a minor classic, I would say. It's not the most popular movie. I actually think it's kind of a good property to get a more modern treatment because it's funny having just talked about Morgan last week and we had talked about Ex Machina uh, alongside that as well. Um, to me, Westworld covers a lot of the same concepts of artificial intelligence and humanity, maybe more in terms of the way something like Terminator does. But I think... Um, this is going to be great. And I believe it's only five. Like I, I, I'd written down that it's only five episodes because that's all that's listed. I don't know if it's a miniseries or if there's more planned. I'm not sure. If I actually looked at it on IMDb today and I thought I saw actor credits for 10 episodes. Okay. That could absolutely and that could be, be true. the case. True. Right. And believe it or not, I, um, because I'm a big HBO guy mm-hmm. um, and about 90% of the HBO content that I watch is recorded. I barely, I'd say even more than that, probably like 95%. Because I barely ever watch anything live. And this is something that we kept skipping over, my wife and I, over the last couple of weeks. I finally said, hold on, let me watch this. I've been hearing about it. I saw what, something about what is it on this? Twitter. You... Westworld. Oh, the trailer? The trailer for it. And we both watched it and we were like, whoa. Yeah, it looks awesome. Like, wow. And again, that's a little bit of that. We, we talk a lot on this show about trailer lust. Or at least I do, where you see a trailer and you're like, oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, but I think with HBO, we you expect 
some semblance of greatness because um, their their track record is so good and the talent. Yeah, Jonathan Nolan, who, yes, he's the brother of Christopher Nolan, but look at this guy's credits. He basically co-wrote and co-produced most of the same work with Christopher Nolan. He was one of the uh, co-writers on Interstellar, which is one of my favorite Chris Nolan uh-huh. movies. So the dude is not short on talent. And this isn't, I mean, this is his, he's directing the first episode himself. So that's kind of a, a big step up to bat. But uh, it, it looks fantastic. And it's, it's if, if you don't know what Westworld is, it's about futuristic vacations in basically these, augmented reality places there's future world which was actually a sequel there's different worlds but west world is the focus and it's basically a real for all intended purposes a real place where all of the characters in in this place are robots and you go there and interact with them like it's a real place and there's laws that keep them from me actually being able to hurt people and this and that um and it kind of goes wrong, as you can imagine. And this looks like it's going to sort of take that basic concept, which admittedly the original Westworld is pretty corny. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to take all of that away and really elevate it to something interesting. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it looks like uh, certainly a big show. I think HBO2 is searching for another flagship program. Right. You know, I mean, um, Game of Thrones is huge, you know, and I think they just want more and more and more. But they have a very, very strong track record. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one we have is kind of dumb, but uh, there's a, a pretty decently sized viral conspiracy going around that Kurt Cobain may actually still be alive. Um, and apparently a video has surfaced from 2012 that features uh, Peruvian singer Ramiro Saver- Saverda. Um, it was a lookalike contest, and he opted to dress like Cobain, and now people are saying it could actually be the man himself. Yeah. Not probably not. <laughs> I would think instead of it being Kurt Cobain, it's probably Peruvian singer Ramiro. I, Sav- I think so. Saavedra. Well, that's like who the video credit, and it's really weird. This like never. I don't know. From what I read, it never aired on TV, and this video has just surfaced, mm. and it looks from a distance like they do side by sides of Kurt Cobain actually performing. It looks exactly like him. Hmm. But even so, but the thing with that guy. is, you have to remember if Kurt Cobain was still alive, he would be in his fifties by now. Yeah. So that's He'd be a totally different because it's been person. what he died in ninety four, so that was twenty. And he was twenty seven. That was twenty. That was twenty two years ago. So he would be almost fifty. Yeah. So probably I don't think it's him. There's all I love these conspiracies. There's the famous. There's a couple conspiracy theories with Jim Morrison that he's still alive. Some my favorite one is that Billy Idol is actually Jim Morrison. Like he just like laid low for like how do you rap, five or six years how and do then you, like create these things like how do people i'm not saying you i wasn't saying you specifically but like how does a person think these things up well actually one of the one of the early theories that jim morrison actually didn't die he just like faked his death so he could get off the grid and just live a normal like blue collar type life that actually was proposed originally by one of the members of the doors in a book he wrote about jim morrison i don't remember which i think it might have been john densmore one it was one of the original members of the doors who actually himself had proposed that theory, but I think it was in a time of his life where he was very much involved in drugs. Um, but that, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and the, I, I was gonna say, you know, it's 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 crazy. Someone thinks these things up, and then also it's even ten times more ridiculous. People believe these things. But again, Kurt Cobain probably not still alive. I'm gonna That's put probably, it at a, yeah. I'm going to put it at 99.999%. 99.9999, repeating. Anyhow, 
And when we come back, it will be our movie of the week, um, Sully. Uh, the theme again is bravery. You're going to hear the trailer for Sully. Music? I don't know that there would be any music. There's got to be some. Some? I think there's going to be a lot of focus on the plane crash elements. Actually, yeah. It's kind of like... A lot of Tom Hanks going, pull up, pull up, pull up, mustache. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that's and yeah, I know it's kind of like a lot of like a heartbeat, like boom, boom, Ooh, yeah, yeah, type thing. It's a good visual. So I get like the image of a a close up of an arm hand or like a like an armrest on a plane, and a hand grabs it. And it's sweating <laughs> and it's shaking, sweating and shaking. And there's a close up of Aaron Eckert's mustache, and then the same guy whose hand is shaking doing a shot of Jack Daniels, <laughs> and his hand's no longer shaking. The guy holding the baby is just like, I love you. Spoiler. No, it's not. Spoiler. <laughs> what are you talking about? All right. The trailer in the break. This is the Bravery episode. Weekly Neuros will be right back. Texas 1549, runway 4, clear for takeoff. Sully. 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 Sully, where are you? No one warned us. No one said you were going to lose both engines at a lower altitude than any jet in history. This was dual engine loss at 2,800 feet, followed by an immediate water landing with 155 souls on board. No one has ever trained for an incident like that. Our job is to investigate how a plane ended up in the Hudson River. On the Hudson. It's not a crash. It was a forced water landing. Simulation showed that you could make it back to the airport. Not possible. I felt it go. My aircraft. Your aircraft. I want you to know I did the best I could. Of course you did. You saved everyone. People call you a hero. I don't feel like a hero. Show us your There's been too much. Time. Welcome back into Weekly Neuros. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. Now it's time for Movie of the Week on our Bravery episode. The movie you just heard the trailer for. It's time for Sully. Um, the plot is that on January 15th, 2009, Captain Chelsea, nicknamed Sully Sullenberger, tries to make an emergency landing on New York's Hudson River after U.S. Airways Flight 1549 strikes a flock of geese. Uh, miraculously, all 155 passengers and crew survived the harrowing ordeal, and Sullenberger becomes a national hero in the eyes of the public and the media. Uh, despite the accolades, the famed pilot now faces an investigation that threatens to destroy his career reputation i would say life too as well pretty much uh the cast is tom hanks aaron eckhart uh, laura linney michael malley anna gunn hashtag breaking bad skyler hashtag really (laughs) annoying (laughs) valerie mahaffey and delphi harrington uh the crew is directed by clint eastwood written by tom komanar kowow komanar nikki komar nikki komar nikki uh, edited by Blue Murray, cinematography by Tom Stern. It's based on the book by the captain himself, Chelsea Sully Sullenberger and Jeffrey Zaslow. Uh, filming locations, principal photography on the film began on September 28th, 2015 in New York City. Um, on October 15th, filming started in Atlanta, where a building in downtown Atlanta was transformed into a New York City hotel. Uh, filming also took place in North Carolina, Los Angeles, uh, Holloman AFB, New Mexico, and Kearney, New Jersey. 
um, and some movie notes. This is the 35th film directed by Clint Eastwood, and this is this is the shortest one he ever directed. I believe an hour and 32 minutes. Yeah, or I think yeah, right around there. Yeah, so it's short. It, it's short. So what did you think of this film? Well, I really, really liked it. Um, you know, and I and I was expect I was expecting it to be pretty solid because you know Clint Eastwood is no n- newbie at this. You know, he's been in, in the game for a, a longer than most people have. Most people I know have been alive, and uh, he, he's fairly consistent. I don't always like his movies, but this one to me, honestly, I think I liked it more than I was expecting to because I kind of was ready for a real just sort of basic by the numbers, you know, very kind of heroic and emotionally manic- manipulative little true story. But uh, I was really surprised to see, I think, that the short runtime of this movie was sort of the best thing about it because I think this movie is not going to get the credit it deserves for this, but I think it's one of the like most perfectly edited movies I've seen this whole year. There is no fat on this movie. It's I think it's paced impeccably. The way they put the story together is phenomenal, and it just it just flows well. And it and by by the end of the movie, I was almost completely satisfied, and I was just I was totally surprised with how on board the whole movie I was. Yeah, and I, same boat for me. I I did I came in not really knowing what to expect because it's a it's a story. It's a real life event. They're portraying real life characters that can go very wrong. You know, we've I think we've both seen multiple examples of that. Well, Clint Eastwood himself has dropped that ball. Yeah. J. J. Edgar, it was terrible. Yeah, it was a horrible film. <laughs> and I think this one, it it was so. I knew it would be. It would have to be pretty straightforward. And it it was very simple. But I for and I'm I kind of I was nodding my head on the other side of the microphone. And because um, the way it's edited is great. They they break up the story in a manner that keeps you interested for the whole duration. And I think that was really the the most powerful piece of this film. Um, there's a lot of other emotion they kind of insert, but again, just how it was laid out was just amazing. And and now it's an hour and thirty two minutes, which by no that's like horror almost horror film length, you know. And just it was great. It was it was so wonderful. Yeah, one of the things I really liked about it, which I had actually heard from some other people saying they didn't like this, was that the uh, the actual landing in the Hudson River isn't shown right away. The movie is very much non-linear in that it shows, and, and even besides going back in time to show this um, crash landing happening from multiple perspectives, it even goes further back into Sully's life. Very, very brief little snippets of when he was younger. Yeah. Um, and, and what I liked about the fact that they didn't just show you everything up front was one of the, the probably the, the 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 centerpiece of drama in Sully this movie was um the character himself of Sully being sort of uncertain he's sitting between the time of the the hearing with his company and the insurance people about well there's doubt being put in his mind because their computers are saying hey actually you didn't have to land in the Hudson you could have landed safely so he starts to doubt himself and he starts to say well did i risk these people's lives what I liked about that was if since we don't really get to see how it all goes down beginning to end and really until the very end of the movie. Yeah, it's like the last thing they cover. We're second guessing it as well. Of course, our instinct is to root for him and be a hero because everybody else is. But the way the movie is structured, it just makes it so much more dramatically intense. I loved it. I thought it was so it was it was a simple touch and it was it was just perfect for this movie. Yeah. And they what I thought what I liked about it, what they covered about the characters is that. 
when an event like this happens, all you see is like the footage of the airplane at that point, I think it was still floating in the river. And right. then afterwards you see, you know, interviews with him and they, they cover that too. But the reality is these people that were in the plane that were the crew that the two pilots, they, they are most certainly going to have PTSD from that dramatic of an event, you know, in the moment they might not. And they cover that and they do it in a manner that's very like, like you said, very nonlinear. Mm-hmm. And I think I loved what I absolutely loved was his, the flashback scenes were not long because there's no. so many movies that go the route of the flashback. And then 20 minutes later, you're back in the plot and you're like, where, where am I? Some of the flashbacks are long when they're getting to the thing, but it's appropriate. Like, yeah, you, it fits. It, it gets fits to a, so nice. It gets to a point where it's like, okay, we're ready to see this thing play out. And I like that it shows you the same thing from some different angles, but it also leaves some details out until a sort of a big reveal at the end of the movie. Um, which I thought were all all great things. But another thing with the actual sequence in which you basically see every like the the everything from the takeoff to when they're landing in the river go down was this, I think, handled by somebody other than Clint Eastwood, who has so much influence, so much power in Hollywood that he can basically do whatever he wants. I feel like in a lot of other directors' hands, this would have gotten way, way, way way more overblown yeah they would have made this so much more intense so much more violent so much more over the top but in reality this whole thing from takeoff to when they landed was only a couple of minutes and yeah it was extreme but most movies elevate things to such an extreme that human beings can't we can't as a viewer i can't be like wow i can see myself in this situation like the movie Flight is a good example. I like the movie a lot, but it's so over the top, the crash, that it's like hard to see it actually happening. But with this, it's like, I've been on planes like that. I've been on short domestic flights like that. Things can go wrong. It's a small plane. You're, it, 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 was, it just captured the feeling perfectly, and it just felt so much more realistic. And you get little snippets of every person, not every person, but a lot of the people on the plane. And it was just all great. Every element of it was like perfect yeah and uh, a thing that they captured really well too is something a lot of people don't think about which was this was uh, eight years after 9-11 happened occurring in new york right and there's one scene at um it's like a, a business meeting and a guy's in a boardroom and he just walks to the window looking like a zombie and watching this plane you know flying by his window smoking and that that has a meaning to someone in appleton wisconsin Right. That means something totally different to someone in New York because they had gone through 9-11. They had, they had been through that, and right. it was a huge headline when all 155 people survived. So, the, And they captured that, per, I thought, very well, very minute touches, though. Yeah, there, I won't say what the line is, but there was even a line that directly addresses 9-11 that I was yeah. like, up until he said it, I was like, I guess I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. And you could tell, by the way, the two the, uh, that Aaron Eckert and Tom Hanks' character how they react, they were like, oh, shit, we didn't think about, like, how big of a deal this actually is. I mean, yeah. it's it was really it was really excellent. And, of course, you know, we, we've said it the last couple of weeks, Tom Hanks is, is fantastic. Yeah. And what I think is so good about him in this movie is that it, it's not showy. It's not a big performance where it's like, well, you remember that one epic speech he gave? This isn't that kind of movie. He plays it so real and so close to the actual person at least from what i understand that uh he's not he's not trying to show about he's not chewing scenery he's just doing the character and he does it perfectly and aaron eckert is is sort of his 
is the co-pilot. He plays the co-pilot, and he gives more gets more of the one-liners and sort of jokey stuff. But he's great as well, and I like Aaron Eckert. That's, in general. I have to say that's a really good casting because that's kind oh, of his perfect. his personality. Like it, you know, as an actor, I think that's what kind of works for him. And a, just a miraculous mustache. Yeah, that too. That was just a, just a great one. Just killer. Just killer. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, um, there's no. I don't think uh, you know what I said before with all the the people on the plane. There, I mean, you. Some of these people only get a line or two, but I believed every single one of them. It just felt so realistic, and it just made the scene more intense, and it made you root for these people, and it just, it was just fantastic. Yeah, and it really worked. I mean, they didn't like overhumanize the the people on the plane. They didn't overhumanize the flight crew. The only people they really kind of you see in in great detail are Sully and his his co pilot. Which is appropriate. I yeah, think. which is appropriate because they were the ones that had to navigate this right. total shitstorm of a situation. Right. So, great film. And don't forget about Laura Linney, too, the yep. wife. Different. That was kind of an odd role, I have sure. to say, like in terms of the the plot that she had to play. She kind of humanizes Sully in, right. in a way. Cause, and I noticed, too, in, throughout the movie, he's filmed in these very kind of dark gray environments, and she's in a very bright... Open windows. Open windows. I don't know if that was intentional. I would assume that's intentional, but right. But one and one more like big positive, and this doesn't really necessarily have to do with like the technical elements or, or really like, some of those elements in the movie. But in general, this is the kind of movie that I have in my notes here. I just have the words "human spirit" written because this movie just made me feel good. Yeah, like, it's just oh. it's just one of those movies where it's like you can take a step back and be like, there are good people who are willing to be brave and and be selfless and help other people when the when the time comes and cuz you see this thing happen and it's just it really it's really only a half an hour this whole thing went down and, and what did it say like 1200 people were ultimately directly involved in making sure the people were being saved and it just it's just like it's just a great message and it's just like it just put a smile on my face and it's like this is a great I mean this is a great there's a reason this movie was made cuz yeah. it's a great story when they say like and this is not a spoiler by any means because this is common public knowledge, but it took uh, all together to get these people on the plane from the plane to the shores. It took 24 minutes. Yeah. Which is incredible because, and I always, I, I, what makes it more amazing to me is my house when I lived in downtown Appleton got broken into and I came home to like my doors open and stuff. And I called the police and I said, uh, my house got broken into. And they said, is the intruder still in the house? He said, I don't know. I'm not not going in there to check it out. It took them like right around 25 or 26 minutes to respond to that. The caveat to that is the police department was three blocks from my house. So mm. when you think about that compared to this situation, it's really amazing. And it's, they, they humanize that. Mm-hmm. They make it make sense to people. And it's an emotional moment in the movie too. Right. But, you know, I don't want to be a gush fest here. Yeah, that's true. I think we should maybe, if we're going to put on our our hats, I don't know what kind of hats we have. Let's (laughs) But I do do have, I don't don't have anything majorly negative, because I will be honest, this was a nice surprise. I really, I don't think it was uh, some perfect, brilliant, dramatic epic or anything, but it was a great movie. Um, I do, I do think my, my biggest, oops, my biggest straight up complaint about the movie is the ending. It is stunningly abrupt. Yeah. The movie sort of ends on a one-liner and a laugh. And I was like, oh. And then it ends and the credits start rolling. And I was like, what? What? Yeah. I felt like there could have been another two or three minutes, just some sort of coda, some sort of epilogue showing something, anything. 
uh, it just was way, way too abrupt. And, and, and with all that said and done, all the as powerful and sort of um, heroic as this movie ends up being, um, I do feel that, and, and I don't know what this says about me, I just feel like maybe elements of this, it's, a, it's just a little light, right? It didn't really, I don't know, it just, it, it, it wasn't, I, I was never so on the edge of my seat that I couldn't believe it. It was it was a little bit tamer than I maybe was expecting as well. Yeah, that was my other and pretty much par to par between the two of us. I, I thought that it didn't really like go over the, like and I don't want to say over the top because that's not the right way to put it. They played it a little too safe. Sure. Absolutely. You know? and, that's good. And it's hard to it's like hard to knock a movie for that, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you gotta pick out something. But sure. That's what, and I, I agree with you. I think they played in the ending too. Throw something in there. I feel like that adds a little bit more. Like, I mean, it was fine because the the scene itself was so good, but the way it ended, the fact that that scene ended the movie, I was like, "What? There's got to be something else you could have shown us." That's the Sopranos, man. Soprano no, this ending. wasn't like a cut to black. Well, that's true. It wasn't really that bad. I mean, there was there there is an ending. <laughs> well, then there's like a the text and. Well, right, everything. and that helped. There usually, that helped a on. little bit. I, that helped a little bit. I was still like, "What?" Yeah, I don't know. Very strange, but good movie. What would you rate this? though? one to ten. I'm interested in your rating. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, like, well, what, what's I, you thinking? I'm this? really stunned that I'm giving. I thought for sure when I first saw the trailer and blah blah blah. I thought I was gonna. This was gonna be like a seven type movie, but I am giving it an eight point five out of ten. I just thought it was. It was just fantastic. It doesn't shoot. For the moon, it doesn't aim to be this big new type movie. It's just so inspiring, and it's so well made, and the acting is great, and it's just it's it, it's not going to get the credit it deserves for how well, well edited it is. So I'm going to give it an eight point five five out of ten. Yeah, and I was I was right in the same ballpark. I had an eight point seven. Okay. So re, I, it was not quite there to to do the nine because of the ending mainly and also to that play it's really hard to rate a movie super super highly that played it this safe yeah that was my biggest thing so for sure but one link because one thing that you should do if you get the chance to is go to imdb and check out the um the like errors or i forget what they call them the yeah because the aviation nerds that are out there in the world and there's a lot of them are they pissed no they went nuts with like the errors and it's like stuff like a lot of it out there is like the plane model that was next to the plane wasn't actually in existence during this time because Boeing, re- it's like aviation people are just a different breed of people. Sounds like my when I'm watching, and I don't know if my brother listens to this podcast, but like if I watch a war movie or a movie like with police or something in it where there's gunshots, my brother will be like, the sound that the sound that gun makes isn't actually doesn't match the actual sound it would make. And I'm like, Who fucking cares. Yeah. <laughs> a big, a big oops though is that. And I actually saw a picture of it um, in a couple of the cab scenes, and or not cab scenes, but like downtown New York. Because they filmed filmed a lot of it because Sully stayed in, in right. New York. There was actually a very apparently a pretty long shot of a cab that like stops at a stoplight and then goes that has the Revenant, really it's a Revenant advertisement on top of a cab. That's awesome. And. There were a bunch of them on there like, that movie came out in 2015. This happened in 2009. What kind of weird hermit like sees that and they're like, oh, this movie sucks. Look at that. Yeah. And I, I was I was about to comment like, show me that shit. Because I was Even like, Even if it's I there, didn't. who cares? And then a bunch of people had already said like, post pictures, post pictures. And there's like literally a, 
the cab and Tom Hanks running. And I yeah, was like, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. That's what like somebody who's do? watching a movie with their hands on their hips going, well, I'm going to point out everything that's wrong with this movie because. Well, rah, rah, rah. And, and we're in the era too. We, we've had in the, you know, top, the top five movies, how many different busts and to actually create an environment where the cabs have like custom advertisement and every little element of a, a camera panning around is perfect. That's a, a shit ton of money to do that. Right. So if one little advertisement, I personally didn't notice that. I don't think you did either. No, no. So <laughs> I think I was too engrossed in the drama and the if I remember the scenes when they were walking around and talking. I mean, that was what I was focused on. I wasn't looking in the peripheries being like, oh, the, oh, the, the, the year on that license plate doesn't uh. say 2009. <laughs> I have better stuff to do than focus on stupid crap like that. Yeah. Kids the aviation nuts totally you know, Go fly crazy. your plane. Go fly your plane in cornfields. <laughs> Weirdos. But <laughs> No, we love all of our listeners who are Everyone, also pilots. If you, if you fly a plane, you're awesome. I'm going to be on a plane shortly. You too, I think, right? Yeah. A couple weeks. Ve- I'm going to Vegas in like two weeks. We're both headed to the West Coast then, California. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, brah. I have never been this far west before. I'm pumped. Really? Yeah. I think you'd like LA. I'm not going to LA. I'm going to Vegas. Oh, okay. no, I think you'd I'm saying you'd Yeah, be. but I'm not going to LA, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know. Fuck, I, fuck you, Nate. Fuck you, brah. No, but on to high priority news items, the uh, famous Stan Lee, uh, who's uh, one of the co-creators of everything Marvel. Just about every major Marvel Marvel, superhero you can imagine. But he's getting a biopic, sort of, with one twist. It will be a heavily fictionalized, from what I understand, action-based movie with Stan himself as the main character. Um I was reading into this. I'm. What do What do you think of this? this I think is it is strange. super bizarre. But at the same time, I kind of can see how it would work. I think they're describing it as an action adventure biopic about Stanley's life. Who, if you know, again, Stanley is the comic book artist behind many Marvel superheroes. So he hasn't had some sort of glamorous life in the ways of one of his own heroes, but it sounds like they want to make a biopic sort of fashioned out of the life he pictured for himself in his head. So I think it's kind of going to be, I think it has a potential to be surprisingly emotional and sort of meta and fun, but uh, just bizarre. I think there must be some creative people behind this project. Yeah. Well, and I thought too, like there's if there's one guy that deserves uh, like kooky biopic, that may may not do good in the box office. Maybe it will, but it's him. Because like, look what he's given the world. Like, think of all the Marvel heroes. I mean, you, it's how old do you think Stanley is? Eighty-four. He is ninety-three years old. Jesus Christ! And he's getting an action. Well, oh, he's not going to be in well, yeah. it. He might. Well, he might be. Watch he's him. in every Marvel movie. He makes a cameo in every single one of them. He does like CrossFit for. Nine months. He's just ninety-three. Ripped. Born Bad December twenty. Born December twenty-eighth, nineteen twenty-two. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood, the director of this film, is eighty. Isn't he 80, 86, 84? Clint Eastwood. He's he's way up there too. Google. Clint Eastwood is eighty-six. Wow. But yeah, uh, Stan Lee, creator of three. Sp- one of the notable works: Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Thor, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, X-Men. Yeah. Enough said incredible so this should be interesting it's one of those things that may or may not actually materialize but it's kind of bizarre that somebody has even thought of it yeah fox has the rights to it they're the ones that won the bidding war so 
we'll see. There we go. We shall see. The other one is uh, Stephen King's uh, Gerald's Game, which is a book I have not read. I'm assuming <gasps> you have. It's one of my favorites. My mother has read it, and I asked her today, what do you think of it? And she said, chilling. Yeah. In one word. That was all but the yeah, email said. Yeah, it's being adapted to a Netflix movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, this they have a very recent, a pretty good recent batting average of uh, series that they put out, and I think this is a good and movies, good, yeah, mean, and movies. This is a good investment for them, I think. Yeah, and you know, Gerald's game. Not to talk too long or anything, but it is sort of a more more of a bottle picture. It's not. It's not going to require a big budget, I wouldn't imagine. the The premise of the movie is real simple. During a uh, some uh, foreplay between a wife and her husband, and they b- live or have a vacation home or something in the woods in a very very uh, rural area where, where nobody's really around. Um, during one of their foreplay sessions, he dies of a heart attack with her handcuffed to the bed and she's stuck there. And that's the premise of the whole story. Um, and uh, it's sort of, it perfectly is, a, it's a perfect uh, symbol of Stephen King's writing style because so much of his writing takes place in the characters' heads and really this whole story does. So I'm kind of really interested to see how it plays out because it, it, it's it's interesting and I think it will make a pretty cool movie and uh, with all, I won't say anything but I will say that of, I've read pretty much everything King has ever written except for some of his most recent stuff because I just haven't gotten to it yet um, but this has my favorite ending of any Stephen King story ever period wow so it's always terrified me I think it's one of the it's one of the only books that's ever freaked me out so I've always been ready for this to be some sort of uh, movie or show or something because it's it's a cool little story. Yeah, and he's getting a lot of. Uh, I know he's had a lot, but he's you know he's still still making movies with his books. Stephen King, man, amazing. I'm. It won't be my obsession, so I don't have to talk about it. I am at the very last portion of the Dark Tower, and I've been blown away at his. The first writing. book. The very first book. There you go. I just need to wait for my Amazon Prime order to get here, and then I'll finish it because I want to start the next one right away. I have the other ones. Didn't I give you the copy, or did you? No, just No, I asked. I just, oh, okay. I just ordered it. Oh, okay. So, so on to our weekly segment, finally, by the numbers, where we rate the top five grossing films in the United States of America. Oh, and I think just looking at this, flop. do I get a, a crown? Because didn't we predict how much money Sully would make? Oh, did you write it down? No, but I'm pretty sure I lost anyway because it was close as Because it was over, over under. It was like the... And we'll say how I lost when we get there because look how much money it made. And guess what my guess was. So, okay, we'll get there. Okay. Ugh. So, um, number five this week was The Wildlife, a 2016 release. Why does it say... T- why is... Was there a previous Wildlife movie? Is that what that is? It's got to be because the only other movie... In the top ten that has that is Pete's Dragon, and that's also a remake. Okay, so this so has to be another. A, yeah, hmm. I don't uh, know what the hell this is. The Wildlife. I think it's an animated film, isn't it? Okay, I have no idea. It could be, but it grossed a total of three point three million dollars on its very first week. Uh, that's its total gross. We don't know the budget though, because it's not in there, and I don't know what what it would be. I don't know anything about this movie. Yeah. Well. Good for you, the wildlife. All right, so number four then is Suicide Squad. Um, so still in the top five here, Suicide Squad. It made five point seven million this weekend. So a total domestic gross of three hundred and seven point four million on one hundred and seventy-five 
million dollar budget and i just read yesterday that this movie has made almost 750 million worldwide nice and uh apparently according in in relativity to its budget it's uh actually been one of the more successful comic book movies of the year so it's done really well awesome and that that bodes well for them we'll see another one yeah i know you weren't crazy about it i liked it uh quite a bit more but i'm uh, i'm I'm gonna do what you did with batman versus superman we had like a reversal on that didn't we because I was the same way. Yeah. Because I didn't like Batman v Superman like at all. When and I, f- I guarantee you once it's a longer film, we'll be like, oh, wow, that's wonderful. Nice. Yeah. But anyhow, <laughs> number three this week was the number one movie last week, Don't Breathe, the horror movie from Screen Gems. Uh, grossed a total of $8.25 million um, in its third week. It's grossed a total of $66.8 million on a mere $9.9 million budget. Well done. Domination. Domination. Uh, so the number two is a new release called When the Bow Breaks, also from uh, Screen Gems Studio, which made uh, on its first weekend $14.2 million on a very small, again, a small $10 million budget. Maybe we got to give uh, Screen Gems a call too, just like Blumhouse, because they seem to have this low budget success success thing going. I'm still, I'm still working on Blumhouse, man. And When the Bow Breaks looks like sort of a Fatal Attraction ripoff type movie of mm-hmm. guy has an affair, girl goes nuts, and his wife finds out, and blah blah blah. I've heard it's terrible, but uh, what are you gonna do? They did enough to make a four million dollar profit. I'd so. say <laughs> kudos. Uh, and the number one film this week was our movie of the week, uh, brand new this week. Sully grossed a total of thirty five million dollars. Uh, that's it, of course, is it's gross on a $60 million budget. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll make its money back eventually. Yeah, so yeah, it's done really well. Um, and I think it's going to stick around um, because this movie is going to draw, I think, people repeatedly. I think an older crowd will be drawn to this movie as well. That was the my theater that I went to because I went to the one by the mall because I needed to see an earlier movie. Right. And yeah, it was mainly... Older people folk. of an older generation. Yes, yes. So, but I think we, I didn't, I should have wrote it down, but last weekend we were predicting how much we thought Sully was going to make. And I said 35 million. I remember that. But I'm wrong because it made $35,028,301. So I lost. I went over. No. But did I guess over? Isn't you it? Can't go... It's closest without going over. Yeah. And, and I the think price I said like forty something. Wait, no. So I went. No, you went because you went over. I went under. If you would have said, I don't remember how that game. I don't recall how that <laughs> game works because I think that it's the the closest. Because technically, no, you would win because your yeah. your bid. Yeah, yeah, you won. Boom, 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 boom. boom, boom, boom. <sighs> so next week, what movie are we gonna guess the the? We're I'm gonna write this down this time. Blair Witch. Blair Witch, which is announcement, going to be our movie of the week next week. I get to go first since I'm the loser. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. Let me write down Blair Witch, box office. Okay, predictions. Nate and Ethan. So what's your... Are you Googling what the... Hands-free, bro. You're looking at your computer. (laughs) No, I'm looking at the hey, top. What's your guess? I'm what's your guess? Top five. So we're guessing next week's we're, where, not necessarily the position, but the amount of money that we think Blair Witch is going to make in its opening weekend at the box office, kind of just as a fun game. I won this week. I'm going to keep a tally of who wins most too. 
Ethan. <laughs> I got a one. This it, week, Ethan is leading the pack. No, three to fun. one. And you got nothing so far. Zero. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say fifty-five million. Fifty-five million. Okay. Wait, I'm gonna. No, say you said it. I get to take it. No, I'll do it. I'm just joking. Doing fifty-five million. I'm gonna go thirty-three million. That's a good guess. Looking back, it's much. My guy, I think my guess is much too high, but I think we're both gonna be wrong. I think it's gonna be even lower. I'm I'm questioning how much money Blair Witch actually is gonna make. Because they didn't really announce that it was actually Blair Witch up until what Way a month ago. Yeah. And not only that, but this is a, a <laughs> we're talking about a series that when the Blair Witch Project come out in '97, we're talking about a 20 year old franchise. A long time ago. Yeah. We'll see. And I think I'm, a lot I'm of the very interested to see how it does. Oh, I'm freaking jacked up I'm to, see it. to see it. Can't wait. Bomb bomb. All right. When we come back, it's time for our album of the week. You're gonna hear music. From that album in this break, again, it's going to be Sabaton, The Last Stand. Hashtag America Rock, made by a Swedish band. All right, we we host this. We'll be right back. Into weekly neurosis. I'm Nate. And I'm Ethan. And this is album of the week. Boom. Okay, so this week we are talking about the band Sabaton and their new release album called The Last Stand. <clears throat> so some background about this here band and release. Uh, Sabaton is a Swedish power metal band that was formed in 1999. They are known for their lyrical content being almost exclusively about historic wars and battles from all over human history. They most prominently write, write songs about World War I and World War II. Their epic, hard-hitting, and generally crisp sound has made them one of the more popular and recognizable bands in power metal. And some uh, notes on this particular album itself is The Last Stand is Sabaton's eighth studio album. And as the title of the album suggests, it is primarily focused on telling stories about famous last stands in famous battles. It was released August 19th, 2016. Nate, what did you think about The Last Stand? Well, I liked it. First off, they have an awesome album cover, which was which was great. Uh, but aside from that, it's a I know they're a power metal band, but I kind of have a category of metal that I've created on my own that is pretty much any variety that falls into the epic category where you could have like an epic time listening to it or it's just like wow that was that was an epic but yeah, yeah. this kind of falls somewhat into that category cuz they're talking about these like super extreme things and it's fairly pa- fast paced um, nothing that really jumps off the page at me but I, I overall I I had a pretty good time listening to this I'll I'll put it that way how about you 
Well, I really liked it. Um, I may be a little biased, though. I've re- I've always liked Sabaton for for a very long time. I'm I'm when it comes to metal, power metal isn't always my favorite variety because I think if I have any negatives, I'll just get it out of the way right away. I think <laughs> it can be a little corny sometimes, right? Like these, sure. these very big, huge songs, and the lyrics are always fitting right in with our theme. They're always about bravery and men dying in battle, and it's all it's all very telegraphed and it's predictable in that way but it's also super glorious and super epic and i think the band uh, i think sabaton is super talented and as a result it's just it's a fun album to listen to i think it's great like exercise music because it just jacks you up um and it's not it's not like some of the metal we've talked about where it's super hardcore like death or black metal or anything it's super melodic the singing is relatively clear it's more of a lot of power metal has that more operatic type vocals to it, and Sabaton is no exception. It's just a, it's to me, it's super catchy. It's memorable that they have great melodies. It just rocks. I, I really like this album. Well, and I mean, the like singing is like very much up front. You can like clearly make out what he's saying, and what he's saying is like, it's insane. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to really describe it. It's a lot of stuff about like, war and bodies piling up and we're still charging forward and right yeah i agree with you and what's really odd is like it's a lot of the songs are about really dark stuff you know like war and people dying but yet you feel really upbeat i think it's because of the guitar the, whoever their guitarist is is yeah i don't know that he's like super super amazing but chris roland and thob england yeah. Other guitarists. Well, that's another thing that's very strange is they're a Swedish band, but this, I, I think I told you off air, this kind of has a, a, like, a hashtag America type feel to it. Somewhat. Somewhat. Actually, if you look at this album on Wikipedia, it has the track listing and then it has the theme and the actual battle that the song is about. Like the opening song in here is called Sparta and it's about the Battle of Thermopylae, which if you've seen the movie 300, that's the movie. The Battle of Thermopylae, and that actually, first of all, is my favorite song in the album. Uh, they use lines <laughs> directly from the movie, and it's just, it's amazing. And one of the things they do is, um, and a lot of power metal does this, where instead of having a whole symphony or orchestra playing, they have a keyboardist, and they they, they use the presets to make it sound more symphonic, and that element may seem a little little maybe corny at first but i think it really works and and that on that song in particular but if you look through this the track list here it has the list of all the different um battles and a lot of it is from world war one and world war two is what they really focus on so you're right there is sort of a more of a it's unique because a lot of power metal bands focus on like viking warriors and stuff but this band is much more modern yeah which it's it's really it's just interesting yeah. Like that they these dudes just sit around and write music about World War One and World War Two and battles and they do I mean pretty pretty good sweep up job of it but crazy yeah I mean uh, and again so my favorite song is Sparta I also really like the Lost Battalion which is again a World War One song um, Hill three two four uh, three two three four was great the title track The Last Stand is one of my favorites yeah and actually there's some bonus tracks that I really liked the bonus track. Um, that was available on Apple Music. There's a song called Camouflage, which is apparently a Stan Ridgeway cover. I can't speak too much about that, but I really like the song, and apparently that's based on the Vietnam War. Um, but it's ju- it's just, to me, it's glorious music, and it's an album I can listen to over and over again, and this sort of has the added 
benefit of these songs work really well on their own too. You don't necessarily need to listen to them in the context of an album to enjoy them. You can make a good mix of probably Sabaton's entire career. Yeah, I think, well, there's one mix in, I think that's like 50 seconds long. Doesn't that, does that, that ties into the other song. It's the only one you'd really, but other than yep. that, they're very much separate. The, that's the song Diary of an Unknown Soldier and it ties into the Lost Battalion because yeah, the Diary of an Unknown Soldier, it's like a voice, like a diary entry, a guy talking about how it was, he was in the middle of this battle and all the explosions and gunfire was like music around him and then the song jumps in. <laughs> nice. I mean, it's it's pretty ridiculous craziness. But um, yeah, it was the same with you. The Lost Battalion and Sparta, like those songs. Uh, Rourke's Drift. I didn't. I was not really a fan of that song. I didn't think it really fit. Okay. But other than that, I had a pretty think, positive reaction to this. I think when Sabaton does aims for more of a ballad oriented thing, they maybe don't work as well just because they're going for this glorious thing and and having it fit into our theme of bravery is very fitting for their lyrical, lyrical content here. Yeah, totally. But when I think they aim for more of a ballad, which I don't think any of the songs in this particular album could really be classified as ballads, but some of their slower songs, I think fall a little, a little bit flatter just because I'm, I'm listening to it to get pumped up and uh, hear all these crazy things. And when it's the sort of sad thing, I, I, I hope that doesn't disrespect the memories of any of the people or places or things they're talking about lyrically, because I do think they're very genuinely um, paying homage to these, these, a lot of these situations and battles and people that uh, aren't necessarily very well known anymore, but um, all the same, it doesn't always make for the most thrilling thing. And I think, yeah, uh, Rock's Drift is maybe one of the weaker tracks for sure. Yeah. Ballads, not their strong suit. What would you rate this though? One to 10. I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. I just think it's. Uh, I mean, they're, I think we didn't talk enough about how these dudes are just super talented musicians. They're not rewriting the book. It's power metal. It's riffs, 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 guitar riffs, opera style vocals. Not not the greatest vocalist ever, but it's powerful and it's sort of gruff. Yeah. Um. It's it's just it, to me it all works. They're they're very on tune with what they're going for and even though they're not rewriting the book i think this is a it was a nice listen because i i was um it just it just again it just made me feel glorious yeah it pumped me out maybe you want to go for a run yeah what would you give it i was again right in the ballpark it's really odd uh 7.8 oh wow 0.2 off on both 0.2 off but um yeah I, i connected with it and I agree with you. I gave it a lot, a lot, quite a few points just on artistic ability because, yeah, love, I love, 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 love guitar riffs. Um, so awesome album. Check it out. I wouldn't say, again, I don't know. I Actually, I'd say it's pretty introductory. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I think a lot of people who really like metal, this is sort of an area in metal that people like less because it is... I guess it goes back to what I was saying where it is a little bit corny. It can't, it is a little bit corny. It just is. Um, it, Cause they're, they're not, they're not trying to hide emotions. They're not abashed about how, you know, big these things are. And, and what else, what are you going to do? You're not, these, this isn't a group that's aiming for nuance. I mean, they're, they're talking about war and battle in the last moments that these people faced. And uh, maybe in hindsight, it seems like easy, something easy to judge or write off, but they, it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it works. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. And again, you heard music from that album in the most recent break. 
I'm on to our high priority news items of the week. Uh, is little Lil Wayne? I always have a hard time saying that. Retiring? Yes and no. My guess is no. But um, he fired off some dramatic tweets claiming that he was exhausted and wouldn't uh, make music anymore. He later clarified his tweets by saying he wouldn't work with Atlanta-based producer Birdman again. Um, his complete absence from the music um, music world is highly unlikely. And I will second that by saying that I definitely see an exclusive album in his near to distant future. Well, I think he's mainly focusing on mixtapes because I think one of the issues is in order for him to release an actual album, he needs to release it through this Cash Money Records, which is run by Birdman. And Birdman won't do it, even though he's under contract. He keeps delaying all this music he has released, so he can't get paid for anything. So he's doing all these mixtapes, which you don't make money for. And I think it, it, that's been going on for like four or five years with Lil Wayne, and I think it's just kind of getting to him. And I've seen some stories in the last couple months about some health issues he's been having, which, you know, I don't want to make any judgments here, but, you know, he's not a guy who's <laughs> paired up as being some sort of paradigm of health and fitness. He's certainly a, a you know, a, a muscular and, and thin dude, but he's also known for doing a lot of drugs and stuff. So um, I don't know. I just feel like hopefully he can sort of, get things out because I'll be honest I'm not a big fan of his music um some people really like him I mean he certainly at one point was super popular but at the same time it's like I don't want to see anybody you know barred out of what they want to do because of some whatever some drama within their contract or whatever right yeah and I'm same boat I mean I feel like this is kind of it's probably tearing at him not to release up release his uh, the car isn't it the Carter five or V five yeah at this point, so it's it just sucks, you know. That's the music business, though, is you have a contract, you got to stick to it, and usually it's really hard or really really expensive to get out of it. And right. kind of feel for him in a way. I, I'm the same boat as you. I'm not like a huge fan of his, but it kind of sucks that he's he's getting kind of screwed over in a way. But right, well, and I think uh, that one of, there was a big response from within the rap community amongst different artists too, who were very when he tweeted this out saying he was done and he's exhausted people like Kendrick Lamar and uh, last week we had talked about young thug they were some of the the bigger voices who were like what you can't stop like come on yeah so and I think you know and then he did turn around and clarify that well I'm not done making music but I can't really release anything because my the, the my contract I'm stuck with these people who won't release my music and what do you do what can you do yeah it's that rap game, man. Rap game. Yeah. It's like watching uh Beefs. Yeah, dude. We talked about this last week. It's just it's amazing to watch this stuff play out. It's it to me it just seems so juvenile, but that's kind of I get the feeling that's kind of what these guys like live in. Maybe they don't, but they live in this in this alternate reality where this is this is it. And it's pretty I don't want to say Weird. too much cuz I don't want I don't want to like I don't want a diss track written about a podcast or anything. <laughs> yeah. And then Blumhouse Productions will be like, we can't deal with you. Then they'll make a movie about Birdman, like, executing us. <laughs> <laughs> no, craziness. And the other uh, high-priority news item is that uh, Zach De La Rocha? I think it's Rocha. Rocha. Or Roca. Roca. He's releasing a solo, solo album that's really uh, produced by Run the Jewels member LP. Which is interesting. I didn't know that. I, I watched his... Um, well, listen to his track "Digging for Windows," and I watched the movie. It's pretty awesome for it. Which yeah, it's a v- very cinematic. 
Right. And, but, he, and he, of course, if people don't know, he's known for being the front man of Rage Against the Machine. Yep. Um, and they're off doing their thing. Uh, Prophets of Rage or whatever. It's um, like a 20 person band. We talked some. about him previously. Well, no, it's like. Well, it's like it's like trimmed down. It's like it's a it's a it's a mesh of Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemies, and Cypress Hill, and they released an EP, and they're doing their own thing. And he apparently doesn't want anything to do with it. So, he, I mean, this has been long awaited. Two people. I think they have. I think I first read about this guy releasing a solo album when I was like sixteen. I mean, this has been in the pipeline forever, and I think it makes sense that he's having this produced by LP from Run the Jewels because he appeared and did a verse on Run the Jewels 2, and he was awesome. I mean, yeah. it was one of the better tracks on the album, so uh, could be great. Could be. His uh, Digging for Windows, I like the track, and yeah. the video, too, is really cool. He seems like a guy who I'm, I'm surprised we haven't heard more about because Rage Against the Machine was so massively popular at one yeah. point. And his voice is so distinct. Like when you hear him singing and rapping, you know who it is. So I'm surprised that it's been so long in in the pipeline that he, it's just, it's just taken so long. It's weird. Yeah, I, my my opinion of it was he never wanted to be in the limelight, but here he mm. is doing a solo album. Who knows? Maybe yeah. it might be coming around. Um, so on to our uh, weekly portion and ending segment of the podcast, usually obsessions. What are you obsessed with right now, Ethan? Well, I have been obsessed with the last couple of days, Miles Davis, famous jazz musician, trumpet player, trumpeteer, if you will, um, who is made most famous in the 50s, um, is, is easily one of the most talented songwriters and composers of jazz music. Uh, his album, Kind of Blue, is one of the most famous recordings in the history of music. Um, I personally like his later music and when he would get to the later 60s and 70s, his jazz fusion stuff when he started doing rock stuff. But the reason I'm obsessed with Miles Davis was because uh, I watched a biopic about him the other day directed by and starring Don Cheadle and it was called Miles Ahead and uh, it was great. It was fantastic and it, I hadn't listened to Miles Davis for a couple of months. Um, I haven't really seriously listened to him in a couple of months and I saw this movie because I had been wanting to watch it for a while and it was just great. And you hear his music throughout the whole movie, and I was like, oh, I just forgot how much I love him. So I'm listening to his, I mean, the dude's got a monster discography too. When you're, when you're talking about a musician with pretty much no boundaries, Miles Davis is one of the first people that comes to my head. And uh, jazz music, I mean, you love it or you hate it, but uh, I, I kind of have a, affairs with jazz music that come and go, and uh, I'm sort of back in it right now. Nice. Yeah. No, I love, I've listened to all of his stuff, and yeah, Blue, Bitches Brew. Bitches Brew is my favorite. Oh, man. Bitches Brew is just monster. It's ridiculous. It's like you can listen, 10, 20-minute tracks in a row, you can listen. Like so awesome. You can listen to it over, you can listen to the same track on Bitches Brew over and over again, and you will, it'll, you'll never think you're listening to the same thing. Yeah. It's just so, there's so much in it, and it's just so innovative, and that was the point. I mean, Miles Davis, a, a lot of people in the jazz world sort of, looked down on him when he started fusing his music with rock and roll. A lot of people in the jazz uh, world saw it as sort of as turning in the back on the more fine elements that ma that make jazz stand out and saw him as cheapening his value and trying to suck up more to a mainstream appeal. But I would argue any day of the week, if you listen to Bitches Brew or something like Kind of Blue, that you'd listen to those two albums and tell me which is more commercially viable. The 40-minute classic modal jazz album 
or the two hour long free form jazz fusion record that has, like you said, a bunch of like 20 minute long songs on it. The dude was, a, he was an incredible musician. Yeah, because I think a lot of people listen to music now and don't understand the context of time in which it was released. And Bitches Brew is an exceptional example, one that was, I don't think the world was really ready for that level of, I don't want to say that level of creativity, but that much going on. Well, right. And, and, and that whole jazz fusion thing and these extended improv jams that they were doing that really paved the way for like somebody group like Grateful Dead, who is one of my, you know, my favorite groups um, and really jam music in general. He sort of helped lay the blueprint for that, where he said, well, hey, you can take your rock music, which really up until the late 60s was short songs. Every now and then there would be an exception, but it was short songs that were fuzzy, lots of, you know, generally a lot of political uh, and socio thematic material and in short songs and lots of reverb and that kind of thing and he said well you can mix it with true 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 music theory and you can really get these talented musicians who can play off of one another and do solos and switch off and 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 sort of all shine on the stage at one time and he really brought that to the forefront and uh gotta gotta hand it down to davis i think he's a yeah he's a guy who i think you're right. I think a lot of people our age and especially younger are sort of forgetting how miraculous of a talent that is because anything longer than three minutes is going to turn a lot of people off nowadays. <laughs> yeah. And my favorite Miles Davis quote is the guy who, I don't know if he like produced or some like minuscule person in Bitches Brew, but he said that Miles Davis was not, somebody asked him, is he the best trumpet player ever? And he said, he is absolutely not, but he has the most, or he has the widest width of skill. Yeah, which is that meant to say his mind around the trumpet and around jazz was so like crazy, it was it was crazy amazing. stuff. But yeah, the, the so the movie Miles Ahead, check it out. I like, gotta check it out. It's man. fantastic. Don Cheadle kills it as Miles Davis, and it jumps around a little bit. It's not linear. It doesn't really tell any linear story, but I think that sort of fits in with his music, which inherently a lot of Miles Davis's music was not straightforward, and yeah. the movie sort of follows that pattern. But uh, just got me real pumped. So I've been listening to his tunes every day. Bomb, man. That's sweet. Yeah, man. And for me, um, I'll get the short one out done first. Fantasy football, football. Oh, how'd you do week one? Pretty good. 1-0. Nice. Whoop, whoop. Packers 1-1, one one too. QBs, who you got? Always Drew Brees. Oh, Always Drew Brees. That's a good pick this year. And I always come Some up with a... Some people think he might be MVP choice. Could be. And I, um, I think I always, Rod- I always, Rodgers is going to get it. He will. Yeah. He's God. No, but I always name my teams after something to do with Brees. So this week, this year, it's the Sea Breeze. <laughs> You're dumb. <laughs> That's the thing is, fantasy football they they have to have a dumb name. Uh, the other one is this book my wife got me for my birthday, um, called happy, What If. Happy birthday! Thanks, man. I mean, it's not your birthday today, but it was. It was at some point. Anyways, um, but anyhow, <laughs> no. But she got me this book, uh, What If, which is uh, was written by a retired uh, physicist who retired to draw cartoons for a living. But he's like a genius. So what he does is he takes these totally hypothetical questions and he then applies science to them and gives like actual real world answers. And it's and like his cartoons with his cartoons involved in it. This is a true story or this is a real thing. OK. And one of the, the first chapter that I just read is um, what would happen if the Earth stopped moving? And it's a breakdown of everything that would happen. Everything would like fly off of its. Yeah. And 
it's like insane because he he studies inertia. these things for like months on end to understand well, what would happen and and what would go on. And actually, inertia is not the biggest thing. Really, the biggest thing. Because aren't we moving super fast? And if the Earth just stopped rotating, we would all fly off from where we're sitting. Gravity is actually based on um, the center of the Earth, right? So that would not be affected. So we would actually, if the Earth stopped moving we would kind of we'd all be fine because the crust would rotate right yeah we'd know no that everything would stop like this is relying on the earth we wouldn't be fine that's not what i've heard well we wouldn't be fine because overall we'd be overall stopped like we'd both be right here the thing we don't think about is that the world around us the air is moving at this monstrous speed technically so if the earth stopped there'd be what are known as supersonic winds that would just rip most of the center of the earth apart so we like, would die instantly yeah that's what i just thought but if you were like m- at least like it's not that far underground you'd probably live because like wind can't rip like huge like monstrous structures the the like sub base of it but i mean you'd live but it was just crazy he breaks these things down like huh. to the t of the t of the what's t. this called what if question mark it's available on amazon and it is it is insane, the things he breaks down. Okay, I wrote it down. Yeah, and insane. The last chapter I read was what would happen if you tried to hit a baseball that was flying at the speed of light? Because people people ask him these questions because he's this genius, and he actually like answers them. Insane. But it's so crazy. I read it every... It's not like a thing you sit down and read. Maybe you should finish The Dark Tower. Well, I got to get the next book first because I, I already know... I don't know how it's going to end, but I got to have another book to start. But this is like my morning. Like if I'm sitting there drinking coffee, I'll gotcha. read like a chapter of it. You know what I do in the morning when I'm... Because I wake up pretty early and I make breakfast and drink coffee and I have some time to chill. You know what I do? Go on YouTube. You watch some videos. I have a bunch of people I subscribe to. Catch up on my YouTube subs. You know what I'm saying? Hashtag. Well, I, don't, I feel like my, my opinion is you shouldn't stress yourself out in the morning too much. Oh, no. Like I'm I, stressed all day. I don't want to be yeah. stressed when I wake up. Because I feel like you should just kind of do it, what centers your mind a little bit. Versus like I know some people like a Drink a beer. Well, I got my mom for my, a while back bought me like a three-month uh, per, wait, subscription? Subscription. I was yeah. get subscription and prescription to the to um the Wall Street Journal, and I was just exhausted. Like I would read, like I read it on my iPad, and it's like this is too much information. How can you keep up with that? Yeah. And so now I just I like to read kind of like for me like what if is kind of mindless, even though it's very complex and very serious because it's very like fact driven. So it's like I like to listen to NPR every now and then after work, but I can only do it like one or two days a week because I get stressed out. Yeah. Because they're talking about all these conflicts and all these countries and disasters and this the election and people and this, and I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, oh. I'm getting the, this, the NPR lean. <laughs> Today on NPR. The Somali conflict has reached new heights. <laughs> Anyways. But that's how they, uh, yeah. A photograph of a boy in Aleppo is made viral on Facebook. That and was I'm actually just like, oh. super sad. No, yeah, I'm not diminishing like, the oh, power man. of the photo itself, but man. But then seeing that, like, like, why do people need to see just that? Just no wonder why people, no wonder why people are so cynical and negative and and just like nihilistic all the time because that's all they're exposed to. 
Yeah. And there's a good stuff happening all the time and people don't focus on it. it sucks. Well, if you think about it, like in, in like previous wars, like World War II and Vietnam, like there was not the level of media coverage that there is now. Well, right. And statistically, like the United States of America now is more peaceful mm-hmm. than it's ever been. Yeah. But it seems like the exact opposite of that, doesn't it? <laughs> so now we find conflicts and... Because that's more wherever. exciting than being like, a bunch of kids today had the best day of their lives and... They made cookies and shop glass and their bus was on time and, and their parents paid their bill. I mean, that's not news. Yeah. Devastation. We need devastation on some level. Kind of sick. It is sick, dude. That's what. That's like when you're driving down the highway and the highway gets all backed up and you're like, what the hell? And then you drive by and there's like a single car. Oh, yeah. It's like sort of crashed on the side, but everyone's clearly okay. It's like everybody's, there's no reason. We're hoping people want to see some death and it's messed up. Yeah. Just go. Just be happy you're driving and you're not on the side there. Yeah. (sighs) Ugh, life. Bravery. This this is, yeah, we have to be brave to drive home. (laughs) No, you don't. But this has been the Bravery episode. Good one. Great one. Next week for sure, Blair Witch. Oh yeah. Super pumped. One of my one of my more anticipated movies of the year. We're gonna be one of we're gonna be a portion of the $55 million that are... 55, you're ridiculous. Oh, that was a dumb prediction. I said 33. I even think I'm too high because we looked it up. I don't think we said it on the on when we were recording. $5 million budget for Blair Witch. So if it made $55 so, um, million, dollars, <laughs> that's over, maybe total. I mean, but, that's a modest budget to say the least. Yeah. But yeah, Blair Witch album, we'll figure it out. What could possibly be our <gasps> theme? Oh, Nate just thought of something good. I did. Say it's it. really good. Say it. Well, witch rhymes with bitch. And we could drink bitch's brew. Didn't we do rhyme already? No, we did rhythm. Wait. Rhythm? Did we? I don't think we did. Oh, dude, that's a good excuse to crack that bottle. Witch, bitch. What would be an album? Something rich? What about bitch's brew? Because witches, they have like brews. Dude, are you kidding me? How are we supposed to review that album? How are we supposed to review Bitches Brew? Like the songs were long. So it's when incredible. I was 13 minutes in to <laughs> like, I love it's one of my favorite albums, but it's not one I like talk about, right? It's just like something you experience. Well, we could try. We could do it. That's an exceptional opportunity to Well, we'll talk about. Crack that bar. Well, we'll announce on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram what we're actually doing. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Maybe yay, maybe nay. But Blair Rich for sure. Yeah. That's the one that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It'll be a good one, just like this one, just like all of them. All of them were good. Anyhow. All right. Weekly Neurosis. This has been the Bravery episode. We had fun. We hope you had fun. And everyone, please take care. <laughs>